This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Good evening, dummies. Episode 181 of Don't Unfriend Me. I just got done with live, and that is always a fun treat. I love talking to people. We had a lot of people watching this Friday night, which is nice to see. Astros are having a great game. Ghostros, World Series, awesome. I don't want to hear anything about trash cans. Just shove it. I'm sick of it. Just get over it. All the teams cheat. It's the way it works, folks. Life isn't fair. We still went in the Dodger Stadium and absolutely shellack the Dodgers. Please. We didn't have any trash cans there. And Jose Altuve is just wrecking it this year. So the Astros took a year off last year. They probably just didn't have the spirit, but they're playing pretty well this year. They just got beat by the the Orioles, which is pathetic, and the Tigers. But whatever. Things happen. Folks, 181, what are we doing tonight? This is going to be a heavy show. Usually I say it's going to be a good time. It's going to be heavy. We are talking about, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? What are you talking about? Are you talking about leads? The leads are weak. You're weak, pal. A, always B, B, C, closing. Always B, closing. See this watch? Okay. You don't know the movie? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Not very good. The opening scene is fantastic. That scene is fantastic. The rest of the movie kind of sucks, but whatever. Tonight, we are going over a few different things. The number one thing is we're going to talk about the Southern Poverty Law Center. Southern Poverty Law Center is in my neck of the woods all the time. They shellack, shellack's the word of the night, folks, Virginia mailboxes and mailers with their, I don't know, solicitation is the best word for it, but a lot of it is a bunch of garbage. And the Ku Klux Klan, why are we talking about the KKK? Because hate groups are supposedly on the rise. I mean, that's what you hear. Nazis are around every corner. The KKK is in flux, and they're rising back up from the ashes like the proverbial phoenix if they believe that kind of shit. And the answer is, they're not. They are an insignificant, infinitesimal hate group that honestly is one of the smallest hate groups remaining in the United States today. There are much larger groups, and we'll talk about that tonight. The history of the KKK, why they are no longer relevant, but why a materialistic or a corporal form like the KKK, which has a physical embodiment, versus another form of racism like the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is more ethereal which is more insubstantial in the sense that it's more non-tangible. It's not something you can actually put your finger or hand on. It's a feeling or a doctrine or an ideological entrenchment that comes out of the Southern Poverty Law Center that is just as bad as the KKK. Now, I want to be clear. The KKK is an abhorrent group that deserves to be destroyed. However, we're not talking about the KKK of yesteryear. We're talking about changing policy in the form of using racist ideological thoughts and propaganda. And is that the KKK or is that the Southern Poverty Law Center? We'll find that out. We're going to talk about it tonight. And then I'm going to give you my spin about current hate groups and some of the FBI reports that have come out. So it's going to be a fun show. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be heavy. But first, before we do that, an Alabama pastor said to his congregation, someone in this congregation has spread a rumor that I belong to the Ku Klux Klan. This is a horrible lie and one which a Christian community cannot tolerate. I am embarrassed and do not intend to accept this. Now, 
I want the party who said this to stand and ask forgiveness from God and this Christian family. No one moved. The preacher continued, Do you have the nerve to face me and admit this is a falsehood? Remember, you will be forgiven, and in your heart, you will feel glory. Now stand and confess your transgression. Again, all was quiet. Then slowly, a drop-dead gorgeous blonde with a body that would stop a runway train rose from the third pew. Her head was bowed down, and her voice quivered as she spoke. Reverend, there has been a terrible misunderstanding. I never said you were a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I simply told a couple of my friends that you were a wizard under the sheets. The preacher fell to his knees, his wife fainted, and the congregation roared. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, welcome once again. What is a dummy? Well, a dummy is a don't unfriend me. Barstool Sports has their stoolies. We have the dummies, the don't unfriend me's. We also have the dum-dums. They're a special kind of sucker. And those people we really don't respect, but we love dummies. If this is your first time watching or second time watching, you are an honorary dummy. After that, you will be inducted into the Dummy Hall of Fame. It comes with a lot of money and titles and land and properties and all those type of things, but it's not important right now. If you like a show that has a little bit of edge to it that can be somewhat humorous, but a little bit vulgar, but also prove some really good points and make you think this is a show for you. If that doesn't sound like it's your particular brand of vodka, the boring page is to your left. Swipe left, please. Maybe you will find what you're looking for. I hope this is the site. Who is who? who who's who's what? Who's am I? Who's am I? Holy crap. Who am I? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me, and I am going to bring you an interesting hour of entertainment. Once again, I hope you enjoy it. But if you don't, that's fine. We can agree. We can disagree. You can love me or hate me. Just don't unfriend me. My social media sites are right down here. Facebook, Anchor. Find my podcasts on iTunes, Google, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast. They are there for your viewing and listening pleasure. If that doesn't do it for you and it's not your bag, baby, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com. It is your bag, baby. Don'tunfriendme.com has all my podcasts, my videos, my blog, everything else, and you can connect and find out a little bit about what we do here. And let's get started tonight. Please remember, if you haven't yet, you can like and follow on Facebook, share. You can follow me on Instagram, whatever. Please, if you have multiple accounts, just look me up. It's on Don't Unfriend Me Host, at Don't Unfriend Me Host, or at Don't Unfriend Me and you will find where I live on social media. Let's get to it, folks. We are going into some con controversy tonight. The KKK. I want to be really clear, first of all, is that I grew up in Ventura, California, and there, surprisingly enough, were a lot of different gang elements in Ventura, predominantly a very rich city, but there were some poor parts. On the east side, you had Satikoy, and you had some of the 
middle class suburbia. And then on the west side, you had the beachfront property, Central. Then west side was actually Ventura Avenue and had Hispanic gangs. There were Crips, Rolling 60s, there were Bloods, all of those type of things were in our neighborhoods. But you also had a racist element. There was no KKK because it's California, but you did have Nazi youth or people who pretended to be. You had skinheads and things to that effect. And most assuredly, you took them very, very seriously. They were a rough crowd. I grew up with it, and I heard about it and saw it firsthand, but I never experienced the KKK until I moved into Virginia, and the KKK I experienced was laughable. In my mailbox, there was a little pamphlet that basically had KKK language on it. It wasn't sent through the mail. It probably was put in every single mailbox as they walked around and got it at a Kinko's. Can you imagine somebody in a white hood at a Kinko's just printing out copies? Listen, the Ku Klux Klan is essentially dead. There are about 3,000 active members. We will go into this shortly. But there are white supremacist groups still in the United States today. But you would be surprised that there are larger groups that are spewing racism. And we'll talk about that when we get to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Two different ways of doing it. The Ku Klux Klan is, was very in-your-face. It was palpable. It was dangerous. And they were deadly. Then you have the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is more ideological, which uses the law to hide behind to make a ton of cash all the while by saying that the white man is responsible for everything wrong in the world as they collect dollars by pretending under the guise to take care of civil rights that honestly are already well established and given to every American who needs them. Founded in 1865, the KKK extended into almost every southern state by 1870 and became a vehicle for white southern resistance to the Republican Party's Reconstruction era policies. Let me go ahead and say that again. The Southern resistance to the Republican Party's Reconstruction era policies. And if people say, oh, this is obviously a right wing site, yes, history.com is a right wing site. Ken Burns' Civil War volumes are a right wing novel. Folks, this is history, and you're going to have to suck it up. The Democratic Party most assuredly created the KKK. I am sorry to disappoint you. Aimed at establishing political and economic equality for black Americans. Its members waged an underground campaign of intimidation and violence directed at white and black Republican leaders. Though Congress passed legislation designed to curb Klan terrorism, the organization saw its primary goal, the reestablishment of white supremacy, fulfilled through Democratic victories in state legislature across the South in the 1870s. After a period of decline, white Protestant nativist groups revived the Klan in the early 20th century, burning crosses and staging rallies, parades and marches, denouncing immigrants, Catholics, Jews, African Americans, and organized labor. Pretty much anyone that didn't look like their cousin. The civil rights movement of the 1960s also saw a surge of Ku Klux Klan activity, including bombings of black schools and churches and violence against black and white activists in the South. Founding of the KKK, a group including many former Confederate veterans founded the first branch of the KKK as a social cub in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1865. The first two words of the organization's name supposedly derive from the Greek word kyklos, meaning circle. In the number of 1860, excuse me, in the summer of 1867, local branches of the Klan met in a general organizing convention and established what they called an invisible empire of the South. 
They have wizards, they have invisible empires, and they wear sheets. They're just fantastic. And they look great before Labor Day. Leading Confederate General Nathan, don't, don't dox me because I made a homosexual voice. I will do all voices on this show. Leading Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest was chosen as the first leader or Grand Wizard of the Klan. He presided over a hierarchy of Grand Dragons, Grand Titans, and Grand Cyclopses. What is this, a bad fucking game of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? I'm going to go ahead and roll a seven for dexterity to see if I win against the Negro. What the hell is going on? What is up with these fucking names? And yes, I use Negro in a sentence. I apologize. Did you know at its peak in 1920s, clan membership exceeded 4 million people nationwide? And that is terrifying in itself. The organization of the Ku Klux Klan coincided with the beginning of the second phase of post-Civil War Reconstruction. Put into place by the more radical members of the Republican Party in Congress, after rejecting President Andrew Johnson's relatively lenient Reconstruction policies in place from 1865 to 1866, Congress passed the Reconstruction Act over the presidential veto. Under its provisions, the South was divided into five military districts, and each state was required to approve the 14th Amendment, which granted equal protection of the Constitution to former enslaved people and enacted universal male suffrage, which we learned about last night. Ku Klux Klan violence in the South from 1867 onward, black participation in public life in the South became one of the most radical aspects of Reconstruction as black people won election to Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress. For its part, the Ku Klux Klan dedicated itself an underground campaign of violence against Republican leaders and voters, both black and white, in an effort to reverse the policies of radical Reconstruction and restore white supremacy in the South. They were joined in this struggle by similar organizations, such as the Knights of the White Camellia, launched in Louisiana in 1867, and the White Brotherhood, and the White Bearded Dwarfs of... Georgia, <laughs> at least 10% of the black legislators elected during the 1867 to 68 constitutional conventions became victims of violence during Reconstruction, including seven who were killed. White Republicans derided as carpetbaggers and scalawags and black institutions such as schools and churches, symbols of black autonomy, were also targets for Klan attacks. I, I, I don't mean to jest. This was all a very serious time, but the names, I still can't get it. Gandalf the White and Macros the Red. <laughs> oh, sorcerers. By 1870, the Ku Klux Klan had branches in nearly every southern state. Even at its height, the Klan did not boast a well-organized structure or clear leadership. Local Klan members often wearing masks and dressed in the organization's signature long white robes and hoods usually carried out their attacks at night, which explains why they're wearing white. Makes a lot of sense. Wear white in the middle of the night so you can't be seen. Not too bright, these hicks are. Acting on their own support, but in support of the common goals of defeating radical reconstruction and restoring white supremacy in the South, Klan activity flourished particularly in the regions of the South where black people were a minority or a small majority of the population and was relatively limited in others. Among the most notorious zones of Klan activity was South Carolina, where in January 1871, 500 masked men attacked the Union County Jail and lynched eight black prisoners. 
Though Democratic leaders would later attribute KKK violence to poorer Southern white people, the organization's membership crossed class lines from small farmers and laborers to planters, lawyers, merchants, physicians, and ministers. In the regions where most Klan activity took place, local law enforcement officials either belonged to a Klan or declined to take action against it, and even those who arrested accused Klansmen found it difficult to find witnesses willing to testify against them. Other leading white citizens in the South declined to speak out against the group's actions, giving them tacit approval. After 1870, Republican state governments in the South turned to Congress for help, resulting in the passage of three enforcement acts, the strongest of which the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. For the first time, the Ku Klux Klan Act designated certain crimes committed by individuals as federal offenses, including conspiracies to deprive citizens of the right to hold office, serve on juries, and enjoy the equal protection of the law. The act authorized the president to suspend the writ of habeas corpus and arrest accused individuals without charge and to send federal forces to suppress Klan violence, arrest without trial. This expansion of federal authority, which Ulysses S. Grant promptly used in 1871 to crush the Klan, and this activity in South Carolina and other areas of South outraged Democrats and even alarmed many Republicans. From the early 1870s onward, white supremacy gradually reasserted its hold on the South as support for Reconstruction waned. By the end of 1876, the entire South was under Democratic control once again. The revival of the Klan in 1915, white Protestant nativists organized a revival of the KKK near Atlanta, Georgia, inspired by their romantic view of the Old South as well as Thomas Dixon's 1905 book, The Klansman, and D.W. Griffith's 1950 film, Birth of a Nation. The second generation of the Klan was not only anti-black, but also took a stand against Roman Catholics, Jews, foreigners, and organized labor. It was fueled by growing hostility to the surge in immigration that America experienced in the early 20th century, along with fears of communist revolution akin to the Bolshevik triumph in Russia in 1917. <coughs> Excuse me. The organization took its symbol as a burning cross and held rallies, parades, and marches around the country. At its peak in the 1920s, like I said, Klan membership exceeded 4 million people. The Great Depression had a large impact on the Klan, thank God. In the 1930s, depleted, it depleted the Klan's membership ranks, and the organization temporarily disbanded in 1944. The civil rights movement of the 1960s saw a surge of local Klan activity across the South, including bombings, beatings, and shootings of black and white activists. These actions, carried out in secret, but apparently the work of local Klansmen, outraged the nation and helped win support for civil rights. In 1965, Lyndon Bain Johnson delivered a speech publicly condemning the Klan and announcing the arrest of four Klansmen in connection with the murder of white female civil rights worker in Alabama. The cases of the Klan-related violence became more isolated in the decades to come, though fragmented groups became aligned with neo-Nazis or other right-wing extremist organizations from the 1970s onward. As of 2016, the Anti-Defamation League estimated Klan membership to be around 3,000 people, while the Southern Poverty Law Center said there were 6,000 members total. That's a whole bunch. 6,000. It's double the number. The Klan is a joke. The thing is, is that their belief in God, if they knew where Jesus came from and probably that he isn't necessarily white, would literally throw their kilts up into the wind. I wonder if they wear anything under those kilts. The Ku Klux Klan has no power. Their belief structure and what they believe is archaic. 
They have no structure whatsoever. They have no semblance of what they once were. And communities would stamp them out if they tried to reaffirm or reestablish themselves in society. But the question is, can a hate group still thrive in America? And the answer is yes. There are plenty. We're going to go over a few of them tonight. But the Southern Poverty Law Center will tell you that the KKK, Nazis, skinheads are running rampant in our streets and are everywhere, even though that their stats only have them in a handful of states and their numbers are extremely small. Why do they continue to say one thing and the facts say something else? Well, we need to go into the history of the Southern Poverty Law Center. It's a controversial watchdog of extremist groups. It has been criticized for its financial practices and for characterizing nonviolent conventional conservative organizations as equivalent to violent extremists. The SPLC was co-founded in 1971 by Morris Dees, a lawyer and direct marketing expert and fellow Alabama attorney, Joseph Levin Jr. They appointed civil rights activist Julian Bond as SPLC's first president. In its first two decades, the SPLC won high-profile civil rights cases and filed lawsuits credited with the breaking the Ku Klux Klan. We referred to that earlier. The SPLC combined its legal successes with D's direct mail marketing expertise to raise millions and millions of dollars. In later years, the SPLC leveraged its influence to collect and create widely circulated reports about hate group activity around the country. Dees was fired from his position as SPLC Chief Trial Counsel in March 2019 for unspecific conduct violations. Sexual inappropriate workplace. <clears throat> Cough. Allegedly. On April 2, 2019, the SPLC announced that attorney Karen Baines Dunning would replace Cohen as interim president. Always love a woman with three names. Never had any luck with any of them. Since its victories over the Klan in the 1980s, the SPLC has been widely criticized by both right-of-center and left-of-center observers for its excessive fundraising and controversial methodologies. SPLC's labeling of political opponents has resulted in mainstream conservative individuals and groups, as well as anti-extremist Muslims, being conflated with neo-Nazis, the KKK, and other actual extremist elements. The SPLC uses its former credibility to smear its political foes. Despite this, SPLC is cited by left-leaning mainstream media outlets as a credible source of information about the mainstream right to widespread criticism. Mainstream technology companies such as Google and Amazon have enlisted SPLC to help compile, track, and vet organizations based on alleged extremist activity. For a short time, charity aggregator GuideStar used SPLC's hate group listings to apply so-called warning labels on 46 nonprofit organizations, but later removed the labels amid a heavy public backlash against its reliance on SPLC. Like I said, when I first got here, I had actual pieces of paper that said, if someone's a Trump supporter, to reach out to the SPLC, report any racist group gatherings for the Nazis and the KKK. This is what they do. They are a propaganda machine, and they are a fundraiser and they do it on the backs of African Americans and minorities that somehow there is this movement behind the scenes that wants to take away civil rights. Well, unfortunately, those rights are God-given and will never be taken away. In 2012, the government can try, but ultimately rights are given to us. No matter what they do, they are still yours and that never changes. 
Lloyd Lee Corkins in 2012 attacked the Washington, D.C. headquarters of the Social Conservative Advocacy Group, Family Research Council, the FRC. In his guilty plea agreement, Corkins claimed that the SPLC's labeling of FRC as a hate group for its opposition to same-sex marriage as the reason he singled out the FRC in the shooting. In 2017, the SPLC reported revenues of $121 million and expenditures of $74 million and net assets of $492 million. The SPLC's 2017 Form 990 IRS filing is available if you'd like to see it. It's interesting. In its 2016 tax documents, SLPC reported $136 million in revenue, $59 million in expenses. It also reported net assets of $449 million and endowments totaling $432 million. In 17, the SPLC paid $1,200,000 in canvassing fees to grassroots campaigns, including for-profit canvassing service firms, $258,000 in telemarketing fees to Telefund. Both companies are associated with the Public Interest Network. Direct mail profiting from lawsuits and foundation support. These are just some of the things that they do. Mass direct mailings, filing lawsuits that involve police officers, Unarmed black shootings, racist elements inside city and government officials. They use this to trump up money and fund and funnel money to their foundations. In addition to settlements and fundraising appeals, SPLC's fortune has amassed contributions from corporations and foundations. There's a table below that I can read off to you and give you some of the high flyers. The SPLC received a number of prominent pledges from liberal celebrities and corporations after an outbreak of violence between neo-Nazi and left-wing extremists in Charlottesville, Virginia. In August 2017, actor George Clooney and his wife Amal announced their foundation would donate $1 million to SPLC. Apple CEO Tim Cook sent an email to employees in August of 2017 that the company would begin accepting donations for the Southern Poverty Law Center and that Apple would donate $1 million each to the SPLC and the Anti-Defamation League. Apple also launched a donation app for the SPLC and Apple's iTunes digital store. Hmm... Anyone wonder why I left Apple? Offshore fundraising and investments. The SPLC keeps an undisclosed amount of money in offshore bank accounts in the tax-sheltered UK territories of the Cayman Islands and Bermuda. SPLC also engages in fundraising activities in Africa, South America, Asia, South Asia, the Middle East, Iceland, Greenland, Europe, Central America, and the Caribbean. The world... $162 million investment in offshore accounts. The organization's recent tax forms reveal that while the fundraising contributions and grants provided to the SPLC have decreased, the organization has received a large increase in assets. In 2019, it received $97 million in annual contributions, while in 17, it received $132 million in annual contributions. However, the forms also show that in 2019, the organization accumulated $570 million in assets spread between its main organization and Action Fund. A $52 million increase in the organization's assets from the previous year may be attributed to the SPLC's investment portfolio that now includes $160 million in offshore accounts. Some of the initiatives they work on, the Intelligence Project started in 1981 as a KKK-focused effort called Clan Watch. It rebranded as the Intelligence Project in 1998 to include a large variety of other allegedly extreme right individual groups and movements. Its primary product is the Intelligence Report, a quarterly magazine given for free to law enforcement officials, journalists, and news outlets. 
Intelligence report identifies and tracks groups and incidents the SPLC characterizes as hate-based. As of July 2017, Intelligence Project had 15 full-time and two part-time staffers. Its reports are regularly cited by left-of-center mainstream media outlets. The Hate Watch, the Hate Map, and the Extremist Files are also some of the things they work on. The SPLC maintains on its website its Hate Watch blog, Hate Map, and Extremist Files, all of which purport to track and expose people and groups that hold positions and engage in political activities that SPLC opposes. The SPLC Hate Watch blog contains news and head. Oh, it's fireworks. God, it scared the living shit out of me. Folks, I was like, what in the hell is that noise? People are setting off fireworks. Is that a gunshot? Are we going to war? Maybe I should get under my desk. What the hell's going on? All right. Anyway, sorry. The SPLC. Did I jump? I jumped. I flinched. I admit it. The first time I didn't flinch. The second time I flinched. Anyway, paranoid. The SPLC hate watch blog contains news and headlines about groups it considers hate groups. The SPLC sends its own reporters into the field to interview and research for the blog. The hate map keeps track of its so-called hate groups on an interactive map of the United States by geographical region, ideology, or group name, and currently lists 954 such groups. The map is compiled using information from organizations, publications, and websites, and news and law enforcement reports. The SPLC circulates and promotes its map to journalists and academics since it began publishing the map in 1990. As you know, Morris Dees was fired from allegations of racism and sexual harassment on March 14, 2009. His position as chief trial counsel for unspecified reasons among allegations reported was the need to improve the SPLC's office culture and treatment of its employees. According to internal documents and reports from staff, Dees demonstrated racist sentiments to the point his black employees felt threatened and banded together. Unbelievable. Over 20 employees reportedly voiced concern to management about internal allegations against Dees of sexual harassment and gender discrimination. Richard Cohen resigned shortly after Dees' termination, was announced himself that the group will bring in an outside evaluator to improve its workplace environment. But here's the thing about the SPLC that we need to know about. That's a little bit of the history of what they've done. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and the undetermined. It's a lot of money for a group to raise. But they also have done one thing, which is ignore left-wing extremists, refuse to recognize that the Black Panthers and the Antifa were terrorist groups. The SPLC has faced harsh criticism from failing to track leftist political violence. When five Occupy Wall Street members were arrested for attempting to set bombs at a Cleveland, Ohio bridge in 2012, National Review reporter Charles C.W. Cook questioned an SPL representative to determine if SPLC would track left-wing extremism as it purports to track right-wing extremism. The SPLC representative responded, they were anarchists. We're not really set up to cover the extreme left. Attacks on mainstream figures, Kavanaugh, Trump, conservatives, Antifa isn't a hate group, Christian leaders, they have all been under the target of the SPLC, including Chick-fil-A and their Sundays off and Hobby Lobby. They have vast wealth. The SPLC has been criticized by conservatives and liberals as hypocritical for seeking millions of dollars in donations instead of the alleviation of poverty. In 2012, the Daily KOS, a left-of-center website, criticized the SPLC for pimping out the world for poverty. 
In order to solicit millions of dollars in donations, in particular, the article pointed to the organization's $238 million in assets reported in 2011 and offshore bank accounts, writing, quote, Folks living in poverty across America must feel so empowered to know this organization is fighting to lift them up from their poor economic status by shipping unknown amounts of U.S. dollars to two tax havens abroad. We talked about the offshore accounts according to its financial statement covering the period of 2018-2019. The Law Center stored $41 million in offshore accounts, bringing the total to $162 million. When added to that financial information disclosed in the previous release period, this comes after 2018 tax forms revealed a decrease in contributions to the organization, but an increase of money stored overseas, now totaling over $570 million. What does this all mean? Shutting down people you don't agree with is about as un-American as you can get. Rigorous debate, honest discussion, open exchange of ideas, that's the American fucking way. But free thinking and speech are threatened today by a group with a sweet-sounding name that conceals a truly nefarious purpose. This group is called the Southern Poverty Law Center, or SPLC as I've been referring to. And like I said, this was founded in 1971, but they reinvented themselves in 1980 as a political attack group. Civil rights was passed. Things were getting better better for minorities. Yes, I understand the individual, but as far as the collective, it was getting better. However, now that we find that individual success is more prominent for any race, color, or creed of a person, and collectively, it is harder. We can all agree with that. Every year now, it produces a new list of people and charities it claims are extremists and haters. Aided by glowing coverage from the establishment media, the SPLC's hate list has become a weapon for taking individuals and groups they disagree with and tarring them with ugly associations. The SPLC employs a two-pronged strategy. First, find a handful of crazies with barely any followers, no address, no staff, and blow them up into dangerous movements. Proof that there are neo-Nazis lurking everywhere on their notorious hate map. The SPLC lists 917 separate hate groups in the U.S. No one has even heard of more than a handful of them. The second strategy of the SPLC is to undermine legitimate political voices that they oppose by associating them with the extremists like the KKK. Take the charity known as the Alliance Defending Freedom. The SPLC lists them as a hate group. Is that really fair? Well, the ADF has a network of 3,000 attorneys from all across the U.S. who've donated more than a million volunteer hours in defense of religious liberty. They've had a role in 49 victories of the U.S. Supreme Court, putting the Alliance Defending Freedom on a list with 130 Ku Klux Klan chapters is not only wrong, it's malicious. According to the SPLC, one of the most influential social scientists in the U.S., Charles Murray, is a, quote, white nationalist. A.N. Hersey Ali, perhaps the most eloquent spokesperson for the rights of Muslim women, is to the SPLC a toxic anti-Muslim extremist. Scores of other individuals and charities active in mainstream conservative or religious causes have likewise been branded by the Southern Poverty Law Center as threats to society. Mind you, it is entirely fair to disagree with any of those folks, but it is utterly unfair to call them haters or extremists. The largest category listed by the SPLC as extremists, with 623 interests, covers groups like the Tea Party organizations that are wary of centralized government. Last time I checked, favoring small government was a mainstream and perfectly honorable American tradition. No matter what crosses that I have to bear with the Tea Party, 
wanting smaller government isn't one of them. What is not honorable is the course prescribed by a leader of the SPLC, Mark Podock, who was caught on video proclaiming the organization's true intentions. He told a group of supporters, quote, the press will describe us as monitoring hate groups. I want to say plainly that our aim in life is to destroy these groups, to completely destroy them. Portraying someone with political views different from your own as a public menace is bullying, and it's a dangerous game. Instead of reducing hate and violence, the SPLC's name-calling directly incites it. In March 2017, Charles Murray was trying to discuss his acclaimed book, Coming Apart, at Middlebury College when he was violently attacked by protesters, inflamed by the SPLC's labeling of him as a racist. A professor escorting Murray ended up in the hospital. 2012, a gunman attempted mass murder, like I talked about earlier, with the FRC and failed only because the first man he shot managed to disarm him. The attacker told the police he acted because the SPLC had listed the Family Research Council as a hate group. It's a, it's a vicious irony. While promoting itself as a monitor of hate groups, the SPLC has in practice become a fomenter of hate. Yet the group rolls on bigger than ever what keeps them going. For one thing, the establishment media constantly quote them. Scare stories about right-wing stormtroopers are a sure way to attract eyeballs and fit nicely with the media's own preconceptions of the dangerous reactionaries lurking out here in middle America. Second, alarmism is a great fundraising technique. Convincing people that there are fascists everywhere has turned the SPLC into a cash machine. This is the new favorite word of the left. You're a fascist. Last year, the group hustled $50 million out of frightened liberal donors, adding to the $368 million of assets they were already sitting on. So the question is pretty simple. The KKK is an abhorrent organization that should be eradicated from the earth. So are the Proud Boys, if that's truly what they are, or Aryan Brotherhood, or skinheads. And this really isn't a but, but it's not all about burning crosses and lynching. Racism and hatred isn't that evident at times and doesn't take corporal form. Sometimes hate is deeply routed and masqueraded in secrecy or in private, with hidden agendas and ulterior motives. The SPLC may not be wearing hoods and lurking in the shadows, they are, however, cloaked in their own form of racism and in the light of day for all to see. So the next time you see the Southern Poverty Law Center quoted in the news, just remember the masterminds behind the SPLC aren't eliminating hate. They are fueling it. Folks, that's it for my show. I'm going to go see who's launching off fireworks and go give them a round of applause. Happy 4th of July. I will not be back until Monday night, but I will most assuredly see you then. Thank you for sharing Friday evening with me. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, agree, disagree, love me or hate me, doesn't matter, just don't unfriend me, I would love to hear your thoughts below. The Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. It is important. 22 veterans a day commit suicides, way too many. Traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, depression are all things that can be cured with help and time. Veteran Crisis Hotline helps with that. Please reach out to a vet. Give them this number. If they won't call, reach out to me. I'll make the call with you. Sometimes veterans won't talk to anyone but other veterans. Lastly, if that doesn't work, go to Veterans Crisis Hotline through my website at don'tunfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link and you will be connected to a VCL operator. If you are a civilian, they will not turn you away as well. 
they will make sure you find the right help, right place, right time. Folks, please give me a like, follow, share, and subscribe right here. You can subscribe to me on YouTube in that little red envelope. You can also like and follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever else. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing the message, and I will see you tomorrow or Monday on Don't Unfriend Me. Have a great weekend, everyone. Be safe. Blow shit up, but not each other.